Here in Orlando, Florida, O-Town Compost is leading the composting revolution, recycling organic waste into a nutrient-rich resource. Join Charlie Pioli, founder of O-Town Compost, as we hear from the nation's leading voices behind the grassroots community composting movement. Welcome to the Community Composting Podcast. If you enjoy the Community Composting Podcast and want to support future episodes, please follow the link in the episode show notes to give a small monthly reoccurring donation, even if it's $5 to $10 a month. We'll continue to come out with killer content to keep the grassroots movement rolling. Hi, welcome to episode number 38. Today I have with us Ellen Silver. The, of the village of, let's see if I get this right, Mamaroneck. Right, hey, Charlie, you got it. Yes. Um, yeah, in New York. It's actually in Long Island, New York. Nope, and- not Long Island. Oh, okay. it, yeah. So um, that's a common mistake. We're on the we're on the um, Long Island Sound, but we're actually in Westchester, New York, which is just north of New York City. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. So just north of the Bronx. Exactly. Okay. Well, great. I really wanted to bring you on uh, because what, you know, you're kind of leading the commission or the committee, I would say, of the the towns, uh, the villages, environmental kind of initiatives. And you started a compost program there in the village. Uh, could you just talk a little bit about when you started the program and how is it going so far? Just dive into the details of what the program's about. Sure, happy to. And thank you for having me. This is this is exciting. So I'm glad that Christy uh, made this connection and nice to meet you. Uh, so, so I am a volunteer in our village and I chair our committee for the environment, as you said. And um, back in 2018, actually, um, our village started this food scrap recycling program. And I was able to sort of um, move that forward. I sort of um, connected with people in a neighboring town called Scarsdale. And they were sort of at the forefront of this movement in Westchester County, which is where we are. So, you know, I sort of went and so their facilities and they were doing this program in the schools and I spent time with them and I was just really inspired by what they were doing. And I really wanted to bring that to Mamaroneck. So, um, you know, we talked about this at our monthly meetings and we um, really thought through it. And we basically, our committee is a body that advisor advises our local government and we passed a resolution um, basically urging our local government to initiate this program. And the volunteers that I was working with from Scarsdale really sort of made it easy in that they helped us, you know, recommend the best equipment, you know, the best, um, the best bins and toters. And they helped us with the signage. You know, uh, we basically borrowed you know, signage and put up signs around our village, um, especially because originally, um, well, up until recently, this was really a drop-off program. And people didn't even know where our recycling yard was. It's like, where is that? Because it's sort of in a commercial district. (laughs) So we had to have, you know, signage, like telling people where to go. And um, so we really, there was a lot of setup that went along with it. It started off as a residential drop-off program for people to drop off for free. Or was there a small additional fee? Did you require like any 
liners or uh, what was kind of the so it, it's free um, to drop off. So everybody has to buy their own bin as a kit. And it was $20. I think the prices have gone up lately, but it was $20 for um, a three gallon bin that sort of sits on your countertop or some people put it under their, their counter in a cabinet. Um, and then there's the larger toter that when you're, you know, finish up a bag. Oh yeah. I believe I looked on your website, you use the eco-safe materials. So you have the kitchen caddy, it's yeah. about three gallon. And then you have the larger six gallon and they both have lockable lids. Exactly. Exactly. So the, the larger one is, you know, the one that you keep either outside in your garage and the lid is very lockable. So, you know, animals, rodents don't get into it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's really the lid, the bin that you would then transport to our um, recycling yard. And there's basically large bins. I want to say the 64 gallon bins, but I could be wrong. I think that's the size where then you would just drop off your waste. You would dump it in those designated bins. And there was a hose there and there's a guy that would help often and he would help you clean out your bin. It's a nice service. Um, so other than the cost of buying your own bins, it was completely, you know, completely free, which was really nice. And did, um, when it was drop off, um, did you see a lot of participation? What was about the participation rate in your community and how big is the village? Uh, so we have about 20,000 people in our village and the participation. So we've been tracking it based on tonnage dropped off. It's hard. We started tracking by people buying the bins, but it got a little unwieldy for a few reasons. One is we were selling bins at a lot of different community events. So we'd have volunteers like at our farmer's market, at, at summer block parties, at you know all sorts of different events. And I have to say our record keeping sort of wasn't the best. So it really became imperfect as to how many people bought bins. But even if it was perfect, oftentimes somebody may buy a bin, try it out and then not really continue with it. So we felt that the best sort of measure was tonnage, you know, actual food scraps being, you know, put in the, the bins. And um, it's really, it's weird. Like we actually charted and we now have data going back. We started this program in June of 2018. So we have a fair bit of data at this point. Um, of course, COVID skewed everything, but it's not like you could really see patterns. It's strange. Like you don't really see the seasonal patterns maybe that you would expect or on the holidays. Um, but I would say just by and large that we probably average maybe four and a half to five and a half tons a month of food scraps. That's pretty significant. If you consider um, that that would otherwise be going to the landfill and filling up, you know, that's probably like a solid garbage truck every month of just straight food waste. Yeah. I mean, look, I feel really good about it. So since the program started, we've diverted 174 tons and it just, you're right. I mean, we don't actually landfill our trash here in Westchester County. We have an incinerator. Okay. So I just think about that. That would have been burnt. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that organic waste, they oftentimes have to add additional fuel like oil to get the furnace hot enough to get through that because it's not like plastic or paper that just incinerates so yeah that's a great thing you guys are doing and that's pretty good for such a you know a small town of about twenty thousand. yeah um, do you 
do you guys um so you you're saying it was drop off does that imply that it switched to a pickup service yes so back at the beginning of march of this past this year 2022 uh our village started they called it a pilot program and they started doing weekly pickup and really what happened was if you want to get the backstory a little bit so there was a group of high school students that very enterprising students um, care tremendously about the environment and they started their own pickup service. And I have to say, I was a customer and they were great. They came every Friday and picked up my food scraps. Um, they charged like a five gallon bucket or what container did they use? Sorry to interrupt. Well, it was a very makeshift operation. Let's just put it that way. I think they were like using one of their dad's like pickup trucks. <laughs> um, it was really a scrappy operation, no pun intended, but it was, but they were reliable and very committed. They charged a fee, but they were a nonprofit. They were, you know, donating whatever they got to a conservation group. And they did this for maybe two years. And then the two main guys went off to college and you know, the parents tried to keep it going and had some other volunteers. And in the end, they had to shut shut it down. So that happened in December of this past year. And, you know, people that were their customers, including me, were really upset because you sort of get used to having this pickup service. And the hours of our recycle yard are sort of limited. And it really was going to be a detriment to the program not to have any pickup. So I really, really became a strong advocate that our municipality needs to really continue this. Like, I mean, frankly, I'd always said to our village manager, you know, these kids are doing a great job, but they're really doing a municipal service that really should be done by our village. And, and he acknowledged that, he knew that. And then the issue is really the union contract because he felt that it would open up the union contract and who knew what other concessions he'd have to give up to get them to sort, start picking up the food scraps oh, and it would get like oh, the, complicated. So does the, the municipality have its own collection trucks? Are you talking yes. about? Oh, okay. So you're talking about the actual sanitation workers union. Exactly. So our sanitation workers, you know, doing it, it would basically open up the union contract for that. And he was reluctant to do that. But he was, I, I felt like he was really sort of in the same direction as me and wanted to see something happen. So early in the year, um, he basically, I thought, came up with a very ingenious solution, which was to define food scraps as a recyclable item. And by doing that, it didn't really open up the contract because recyclable items are included in whatever the contract says the union worker should be doing. They pick up recyclables. So that was sort of step one. So then he... Um, started this pilot program in March and basically it's now on Wednesdays, all over the village is recycle day. So you put out in one bin, you know, your paper and your cardboard and your other bins, you put out your, you know, your glass and your plastic. And now you have a third bin, you have your food scraps. Um, the food scraps that was an opt-in. So you need to call up the DPW, you know, give them your address and they created a route and um, it's, it's also sort of a bootstrap operation right now. We don't have a dedicated truck. I think we will soon. Um, but we've been doing doing pickup. I think it's been about 13, 14 weeks. And the pilot came to an end. And there was just a decision that it will be an ongoing um, 
which is great that they're going to continue with it. We had, we now have 278 subscribers. And, um, and I think that our goal is to soon get to 300. Um, we're trying to do some promotional things, some social, you know, media sort of things. Like we, we just did, ran a, a promotion, Tell a Neighbor. And we got about 25 new subscribers for the Tell a Neighbor, which was, you know, the truck is on your street anyway, <laughs> right? Yeah. Tell a neighbor, have the truck now come to two or three homes on your street. Why just come down your street just for you? And it was interesting because I looked at the addresses that they just got and they were in fact neighbors. So it really did work. So that was sort of a fun um, program to run. Yeah. And, our and our village manager um, funded a free raffle that anybody that signed up over this three week period um, got entered into a raffle to, to win a free um, beach membership. We have a village beach. Um, so somebody just won that raffle. So we're trying to incentivize people to come into the program. Is it a pretty much free service for residents besides the startup kit? It is a free service, yeah. And how does the city um, pay for that utility? Or well, village? it's really um, it's really paying for it because they're they decrease service in other ways. So right now, our um, Senate, our DPW yard is closed on Wednesdays. It used to be open every, you know, every weekday. So they've closed it on Wednesdays. So the guys there could go out and do the route. Ah. And I think that will change because I think the goal is to reopen on Wednesdays, get a dedicated truck. We are looking into some grants that um, the DEC is offering for food scrap activities. Um, so that's one thing that we're looking into getting funds for a dedicated truck. Awesome. Yeah. And, um... And is it just the eco-safe six-gallon uh, bins are what people are setting out on the curb? You know, mostly I would say yes. Some people I do see have their own bins. Some bins have wheels. Um, like if you have a long driveway, you know, as you probably know, food scraps can get pretty heavy. <laughs> um, so I see some people have the, the bins with the wheels. Um, and some people have their own bins. But by and large, it's the, it's the, it's the larger green bin. And do you have a separate bin for yard waste? So that's kept separately from the food waste? Yes. So yard waste is separate from food waste. And a lot of people sort of question the reason for that. It does seem, I don't know, a little strange to me, but it's separate. And we don't really have a bin for that. So you basically just put that at the curb. You sort of, it's crazy what goes on here. Like in the fall, I mean, you're in Florida, right? You probably don't have this, but we have these huge leaf piles that just right. pile up at the curb and then you're supposed to sort of tie up your you know your branches and twigs so it's not in a bin per se it's really just at the at the curb okay and i should i should have asked at the beginning but where are the food scraps being processed um, that you're collecting so um they go from our recycling yard oddly enough it's actually right next door which is great which is a company called suburban carting and they're a hauler so we literally bring them next door to, our, to the yard to suburban carting and suburban carting hauls the food scraps up to a facility in Ulster County, which is about, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes to an hour north. And the goal of our county is to have our own facility at some point, some point soon, I hope, because obviously you don't want to keep carting them at such a long distance, but that's the way it's being done right now.
So the village is actually looking into uh, developing their own facility? Not the village, the county. Oh, the county. Westchester County, yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it seems like there's a lot of food waste recycling infrastructure going into the New York area, especially as New York City kind of targets the organic stream. Um, and I mean, it would make a lot of sense uh, having a facility as close to, you know, the Bronx, if you wanted, I don't know if New York City is still expanding their curbside organics program, but I, I would imagine it would be very convenient just to bring up all the food scraps from the Bronx up to Westchester County and keep it so you're not like trekking across the city or anything. Yeah, I, I'm not that familiar with the city's program. I did hear that it got shut down during COVID and I don't really know if they've even restarted, but I know that in, in Westchester, it's a pretty diverse county and there's some uh, towns that are really city-like. You know, we have White Plains, New Rochelle, and you know, some municipalities are just more higher income, some lower income. So at the county level, they've entered into sort of these agreements with the separate municipalities to try to um, subsidize each municipality's having a food scrap program because they didn't want costs to sort of get in the way of a municipality not providing this to its residents. Who's um, subsidizing that? DEC? The county. The county. Oh, the county. Yeah. Oh, man. I wish we had a county like that. <laughs> yeah. So they're basically, um, I, I think that they're subsidizing the tipping fees so that there are no more than the tipping fees for trash, per se. Oh, um, okay. To provide incentives because they really, what was happening is really the, the higher income towns were adopting this and mm -hmm. some of the others weren't. And I think that they was really, they wanted to see this more widely adopted. And is this, uh, I think like up in the Northeast, maybe where you're at, um, are, is the village actually paying for the disposal fees, you know, the tipping fees, even like all the waste they collect from the residents, you know, is essentially being, you don't own the disposal facility, you don't own the incinerator. So therefore you're actually paying like the tipping fees. Is that correct? That's, that's correct. Okay. So, I mean, that's just to the share with our, The municipality is paying the tipping fees. Right. And just yeah. to share that with our audience, like that's the incentive for some of these waste reduction programs is not only is the city, you know, trying to reduce their environmental Im imprint, uh, but also, you know, they're trying to save, uh, you know, money <clears throat> leaving the general fund or the municipality, uh, you know, fund. And has the village ever considered like a pay-as-you-throw trash program? I mean, I certainly wish that that was something that we were doing all across the country. I think that would really change habits, but that's something that I, I it's hard for me to read envision that. I just think there'd be like such an uprising over that because even, even in our discussions over the years about this food scrap program, you know, we would sort of like brainstorm about how to have a pickup service, right? Like, because right now we have our trash picked up twice a week. I mean, as you know, if you're composting, you don't have that much trash. Like if you're recycling and you're composting, 
I don't put my trash out twice a week. I put it maybe once a week, once every other week. Yeah. But to have two day a week trash pickup is just sort of unnecessary. Yeah. But making taking away a service from people just never feels good. Yeah. You know, it's people really like you they really started with like once a week and then it would be a lot easier to do that. But exactly. And and in COVID, so here we actually um had like backdoor uh pickup, meaning that if your garage or your your garbage shed is in the back of your house, our sanitation guys will like walk through your property to go get your garbage where I've always just put it to the curb. But during COVID, they asked everybody to put it to the curb. And for some people, that was just really just not okay. <laughs> They're like, wait yeah. a minute, like I'm used to having that service. So that you know it's cold out. I have a hill in my driveway. There were all these pushbacks. So just have it pay as you throw, I think would really throw people off. Like, wait a minute, I pay a lot of taxes. We, you know, we in Westchester County pay, I think, one of the highest taxes in the country. Hmm. Um, so I think that people really struggle with a reduction in services for anything. But I do think we need a new paradigm of how we go about, you know, disposing of items and paying for that. I, I think it needs to really be turned up on, you know, turned upside down. And I really, mm-hmm. I'm in favor of the pays you throw because people need to not be so quick to throw things away. I think they, need to, they have people have to think twice about that because it's too easy to dispose of things. And yeah. we're a very disposable society. And um, I always tell people, once you start composting, you'll see that your trash is gonna be greatly reduced. As you start to take on more food scraps, you realize very quickly that you need a better composting system to process the material. This is why I highly recommend the aerated static pile micro bin designed and made easy by O2 Compost. In 60 days, I have finished compost without putting in the labor of turning the pile. The piles heat up to over 140 degrees, killing pathogens, weed seeds, and fly larvae, making the end product safe to use in the garden. With 32 plus years of experience in the compost industry, Peter Moon, owner of O2 Compost, is a leading expert in the field of ASP composting. I encourage you to set up a free half an hour consultation with Peter Moon by going to his website, www.o2compost.com. That's the letter O, the number two, compost.com. If you mentioned that you heard about O2 Compost on this podcast, you'll receive a 10% discount on the purchase of the microbin compost training program. I mean, it, it pay as you throw just for those listening is where you're paying for your trash service at a variable rate, depending on the size of your trash container. And it really incentivizes people to divert more to their recycle bins or organics bins, compost bins. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I would also, you know, maybe like you say, people are accustomed to their habits and having like a good solid waste hotline or a phone number that people can call and, and, you know, staff members that are trained to deal with these customer complaints. My, my company, we, you know, get a complaint for a missed pickup or we miss the bucket somehow. Um, our last thing we want to do is send the truck back out there on the road because it's very costly. Uh, 
but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you're dealing with the public and they, some people can get very nasty about things. So. Yes, I have dealt with that as well. Although I have to say the vast majority of emails that I get are positive. People sure. are very appreciative of the village having this service. I'm going to say like you and your committee members are really leading the charge. And if anyone's going to shift the paradigm, it's you guys. And how many committee members are there? 13? Uh, we have 11, 11 committee 11. members. That's yeah. a lot of people, like very diverse, you know, beliefs and backgrounds. I'm surprised that what was the process like to get everyone to agree on like this program? Well, I would say, so when we started it back in 2018, we were a very different board. We've really, um, you know, it's a three-year term. You can have a renewal of your term. I'm in my second term, but a lot of people were cycled, cycled out. So we really have, um, it's a different composition today than it was then. But by and large, everybody on the board was supportive of instituting a food scrap recycling program. But it was really just a handful of us that were really involved in this effort because we, our committee focuses on a lot of different things, not just this. So we sort of have subcommittees and you know, there was probably, I think, three or four of us that were fully dedicated, you know, to this effort where everybody was supportive. But it was just a few of us that, you know, really tried to lobby, you know, the municipality to get started and really worked on, you know, the signage and tabling at all these different events. Um, you know, we went out and saw other sites, um, as I said, in other um, towns, whatever, doing this. So but, you know, as I said, it's sort of evolved. And as far as now the pickup, which was a whole new initiative, um, it was, again, maybe three or four of us, but a different a different group of people. And um, so it's not the whole committee doing everything, because we also focus on a lot of other environmental initiatives for our village. And do you feel like there was a couple roadblocks you had to overcome, like where I mean, I, I know for a big city like the city of Orlando, the, the bureaucracy is crazy. And, you know, if I'm, they don't even offer volunteer positions to sit on an environmental committee. So if someone from outside um, in the public wants to propose something, it's next to in, impossible, it seems. Um, but yeah, what were the roadblocks? And that's great. You have relationships with DPW and everyone. I'd say that I don't want to call them roadblocks per se, but a lot of times when we try to get things done, you know, look, we're dealing with local government. Uh, not a lot of people work <laughs> in, in the village, you know, at the local government level. So it's a pretty thin staff. Um, it's just slow you know, things happen slowly. So it requires just a lot of patience and a lot of persistence. But I didn't feel like we had like a big hand up saying, no, 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 we can't do this. Um, I never felt that way. I felt like it was really a matter of us bringing all the information to the municipality and saying, okay, this is what this neighboring town is doing. This is, you know, these are the bins. This is, <laughs> these are the signs. Like we really like it, we always made a turnkey for them. Like, this is what they're doing next door and this is what we should be doing. In fact, 
a lot of my advocacy is sort of based on what other towns are doing. If our neighboring town is doing something, why aren't we doing it, right? Like, like why shouldn't we be doing the same thing where, you know, we want to be an environmentally friendly village and we want to sort of be on the forefront and we, we care. We're located right on the Long Island Sound that we mentioned earlier in the podcast. So, you know, we care about the environment here where um, people move here for the natural beauty. We have a very progressive town. It's very diverse. And um, people are really enjoying, enjoying this program. And in fact, when the kids shut down their business, um, people were emailing me like, hey, we got to do something here. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, well, let's, let's do something. So I instructed all those customers. They had 100 um, households in their, in their um, subscriber base. And I got their list and I sent out an email saying, okay, write letters, write letters. And I gave them all the email addresses, write letters to the mayor, to the trustees, to the village manager, to the head of the DPW. We need to write letters. And about 35 people of the hundred wrote letters. And they were really, they weren't form letters. I didn't tell them what to say. And they were really from the heart and just very compassionate, you know, or I'm sorry, passionate about composting and the need for this, you know, the benefits of the environment and why we should be doing this. And it was hard to ignore those letters. Yeah, I imagine. So when, um, you know, it was implemented in 2018, when did the idea really, you know, when did the ball get rolling? And, you know, I'm just curious about the, the time it took to actually get implemented. So our program actually started in June of 2018. So I guess when we started the conversations, I want to say maybe, I don't know, you're testing my memory, Charlie, maybe like late 2017 or even early 2018. I mean, it didn't take no, that long. No, not so, long. Because, it, because we, it wasn't a huge ask of the village, right? They had to have a dedicated area in our DPW yard which isn't really that big, but they had to have a dedicated area for the bins, you know, when people would come to drop off. But that the, the bigger ask was to have a pickup service. And that took from 2018 until March of 2022. So that was like a four year process. Okay. And that was hard. That was hard to get done. Okay. And uh, I don't know too much about your community, but is there uh, the food waste coming from the commercial or multifamily stream significant? Um, or is it mostly on the single family residential side? Yeah, so this pickup program is at this moment solely targeted to single family homes. Yeah, but I mean, like, is there, um, I guess it, my question I should rephrase, is there a plan to target and recycle the food scraps coming from the commercial or multifamily side? So what I'd say is there is a plan. I don't know how concrete the plan is, but there's discussion about expanding the residential program to include multifamily dwellings, meaning the apartment houses, which we have quite a few here in Maranek. Um, As far as commercial, so there are commercial entities that are doing this, like a lot of our um, beach club, we live, as I said, by the water. So there's beach clubs here. So um, a few of the beach clubs, some of the houses of worship, they're all doing this. And basically they have their own commercial pickup arrangements with this company, Suburban Carding that I mentioned earlier. 
So, um, you know, they have suburban carting pickup and then their food scraps go up to that facility in Ulster County. So I do know that there is um, commercial participation, but that's not being done through the municipality. It's being oh. done privately. Okay. And that's, I'm sure, in line with like commercial trash is all pretty much private haulers. It's private haulers. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that was also sort of part of the pitch was that, you know, for residents where, okay, so now you're, the schools are starting to do this. So kids are learning to sort their food scraps in school. The House of Worship is doing this. The beach clubs are doing this. Like, you need to be doing this at home as well. Like it needs to be consistent across the board. Yeah. Or else it's sort of confusing, right? Like why am I throwing away my banana peel at home when I'm in school, yeah. I'm putting it in the compost bin. So that's sort of part, part of our pitch to residents to um, sign up for the program. Yeah. My hope is in the next 10 years, every business and home in the States has a compost bin. So um, that's I'm right there with you. That's going to take a lot of infrastructure, but yeah. You know, my last question is like from the perspective of a passionate individual about composting or, you know, a community composter like uh, myself with O-Town Compost, uh, how do you kind of advocate your community to implement such a great and, you know, impactful program like you guys did there in the village? Well, how do I advocate for that? Is that your question? Uh, how do you advocate and, you know, what angle do you take to really, like, bring that to the forefront of the community's, like, mm -hmm. politics, I guess? So I think, you know, I've been doing this work in our village for about five years, and so much of it is relationship building. And just knowing sort of when to push and when to sort of hang back and seeing the opening. So we live in a village that, you know, there's a lot going on and you sort of need to pick your spots, right? Like, so in the middle of COVID, I wasn't gonna push for pickup. We, our town was severely impacted by Hurricane Ida. We were severely flooded here. So, you know, I wasn't gonna really push for anything, you know, in the fall because we were recovering from the hurricane. So I think you have to sort of know when to pick your spots. And you have to sort of know who your allies are. So I have a really good relationship with the mayor and with our trustees. And you sort of need to really just educate because the more that they understand it and it could almost become their idea, <laughs> you know, then it's, it's like easier for them to like, for them to then advocate for it. So if it's something that's foreign to them, then it's like, oh no, I don't want to do this. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm going to get pushed back. But I think the more that our committee can sort of bring just information wise and just procedurally and however much we can bring to whatever initiative we're trying to get across, the more we can accomplish. But I think so much of it is just education and having these relationships and this trust because whatever we've done so far has sort of worked out for the village. You know, we do, as I said earlier, we do a lot more than just the food scrap composting. So, you know, we do community events throughout the year and we have a focus on healthy yards and, you know, leaf blower bands. And um, we, we do, um, I don't know if you know, New York state has the um, climate smart communities where it's, you know, taking measures to reduce carbon emissions. Hmm. Uh, so we're, we're really 
working on many different fronts. And it's really just knowing who is interested in what at what time. And I'll give you another example. We've been talking about putting in more um, electric vehicle infrastructure here in our village. We only have two charging stations. I mean, that's wholly inadequate for a village of our size. And they're in a location that really isn't even that convenient for people. Mm. We've been talking about this, I wanna say Charlie, for like two years. <laughs> and our village manager came to me, he's like, we need to get these done. Like, it was just like a light bulb went up over his head as if this just like, you know, hadn't been talked about for two years, but it's so much of it is timing and it's patience on our part because you're dealing with, you're dealing with local government and just things tend to just move slowly. And it's, it's, it's not because anyone has bad intentions. It's just that there's so much sometimes that comes before, yeah. right? There's like, you know, there's competing demands for things. And sometimes you just do what's right in front of you versus something that's a longer term initiative. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice, like patience, but always keep that resonating uh, so you can strike at the right time. And yeah, yeah I mean, uh, I think a lot of my success here in Orlando, moving it to the forefront and getting a lot, a lot of our, our customers, whether they're like the mayor subscribes for our service, but also oh. different universities and businesses, it's relationship building. And then once the people in charge start chatting about it, that's uh, where, you know, you get those positive ripple effects. So. Absolutely. And I'll tell you at the resident level, like trying to get people to start composting in their own homes over the years, you know, we've, as I said, we've tables at the farmer's market and we try to do, you know, community outreach. And just so many people just resist. They're like, oh, it's going to be smelly and the rodents. And it's just, it's a, it's a hassle. And, you know, it's, it's basically coming to people without judgment and just trying to make it very accessible and just feel like, hey, you know, I've been doing it in my house and, you know, I have teenage kids and, you know, I even get them to do it now and they're friends and, you know, and, and, and admitting yeah, it is hard. It is hard to get started, but once you start doing it, you're not going to, you're not going to want to not do it. You know, it's, it's really going to be like, you're going to wonder how could I throw my food and food is not trash. That's like my mantra. Food is not trash. Yeah. And I also always recommend, because for me, my aha moment about composting came about watching. I don't know if you've seen the documentary wasted the story of food waste. Have you seen that? I haven't. No. Oh my God, Charlie, you have to watch that. That was completely like my, like, wow. Like this is really something that everybody needs to do. And I, I often just recommend that people watch that because that documentary, you know, is more compelling than anything that I could say to anybody. And, um, and it's entertaining. So I think it's a really, um, when we actually first started our program, in fact, we were having um, screenings of the documentary at our local library. And we were having like, you know, talkbacks after the screening. And by amazing good fortune, one of the, um, there's a few chefs that they profile in the documentary that talk about not having food waste in their kitchens. And these are top chefs. And one of the um, guys from the film lives in my community. And so he came to one of the, it was amazing. So he came to one of our talkbacks and, and that was really great. Um, so I think it's just having a lot of programming yeah. around that and just a lot of education, a lot of education. Thank you so much, Alan. Please rate and review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to. 
If you feel like this is good content and you're learning a lot about compost, 